Welcome, and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Matthews Podcast, a podcast highlighting commercial real estate news, topics, and trends from top professionals in the industry. I'm your host, Matt Wallace, 11-year industry veteran with over a billion dollars in transactions under my belt. I now serve as a market leader at Matthews, sharing my skills in supporting workplace expansion, development, and management to help grow the Matthews brand into new markets. Today, we are joined by Matthews self-storage expert, Austin McLeod, Vice President of the Self-Storage Division. He has sold over 2 million rentable square feet of storage nationwide, working with a wide range of clients, including private investors, developers, private equity firms, and the industry's largest institutional investment firms, all within the self-storage asset class. In this episode, we dive into the self-storage market, specifically looking at what led to the sector's growth, how the current market impacts the industry, and how much runway this asset class has left. Welcome, Austin. Thank you. Excited to join you guys. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Why don't we dive right in? So let's talk about, you know, self-storage from 30,000 square feet. Like, what what is the asset class itself? And then what attracted you to this asset class? Yeah, so self-storage is essentially either several buildings or just one building with you know anywhere from a hundred to a thousand units for you know regular individuals to to store their household belongings or documents or furniture it's a very needed business in most in most areas you know there's just so many things that people have that that need to get stored that they don't want to get rid of so that's kind of the basics of, of what it is. But in terms of what attracted me to the asset class, honestly, no one had done it at Matthews. It was a product type that hadn't really been explored by any agents. And I saw it as an opportunity to come in and start something as my own and, and build the division. And, you know, it took some trial and error, took a lot of just, you know, honing in on, how the industry worked and and how the deal cycle you know worked within the self storage market but you know I love that so so you looked at it from a internal a company you were at Matthews and you looked around and this was just a very entrepreneurial niche that you could jump in and dominate because there was no internal competition per se exactly this was 2018 so this was before the self-storage industry had really blown up. There wasn't that much publicity surrounding it. You know, transaction velocity wasn't nearly as high as it is now. And so I saw it, like you said, as an opportunity to come in and kind of dominate it internally and, you know, build the division myself. And then just so happens, COVID hits in 2020, the industry blows up. Now there's a ton of publicity, ton of institutional money flooding the space, and transaction velocity is double what it was back then. So w- when you're getting this effectively new group at Matthews off the ground, what were you know some of the challenges early on? The biggest challenge was track record, right? So no one in the storage industry really knew who Matthews was. You know, we had a big name in retail, we had a big name in multifamily even industrial at the time, but no one had done any self-storage deals. So at first it was just kind of building a name for myself as well as the company, you know, showing that we are 
a national firm that we're credible, that we have, you know, billions of dollars in transaction experience and, you know, just kind of building credibility up front. And once we were able to do that, you know, we were able to catch on and really pick up and understand the underwriting very quickly. It was just about kind of building a name and building the credibility. And that took some time. So that's a, a, a great segue into the the nuances here. What, How is self-storage different from your traditional triple net lease? What are some of the nuances of a self-storage deal that investors need to understand? Yeah. So I think the clearest difference is the month-to-month leases. So every tenant is on month-to-month leases for the most part, unless there's a larger unit where you're renting a space to a commercial tenant or, you know, to a business of some sort that wants to lock it down for 12 plus months. But the vast majority of tenants are on month-to-month leases. So what that means is you can have more turnover. You have more tenants coming in and out, you know, weekly, monthly, sometimes daily. But also that gives you pricing power as an owner to continuously increase rental rates. You know, you can constantly increase rental rates on new rentals coming in or existing tenants because they're just month-to-month leases. And this can, you know, obviously help you drive up the value of the asset very quickly. But, you know, on the other side, if if rental rates decline in a market very quickly, which can't can happen because of oversupply or just, you know, tenants moving away from a market, then your rental rates can decrease very quickly because of the month-to-month leases. So the, the rapid mark-to-market of rents, obviously there's upside and downsides with, you know, yep. it, can, it can go down just as fast, but in an inflationary environment where we're seeing the price of everything going up, seems like that would be an effective way for landlords to to catch up to inflation and pass that along to tenants. Somewhat. So it's actually interesting. Self-storage rental rates haven't been, you know, too positively impacted by inflation, which is a common misconception, honestly. We've actually seen rental rates drop year over year by about 2% nationwide. This is February 2023 compared to February 2022. And month over month, they dropped about a half a percent. So we've been kind of declining over these last few months, which a lot of people attribute to seasonality, which is kind of unique to self-storage. Typically, your months between April and, and August are considered your busy months. You know, your, the summer months where you see a lot of movement, you see a lot of rent growth. And then the winter months, typically November to February and March are your slower months and and typically where you see rental rates decline. And so that's what we've seen these last few months, which, you know, most people have attributed to quote unquote seasonality, not inflation, but we certainly haven't seen that, you know, quick rise in rental rates just because of inflation. Is that seasonality tied to the residential market for the most part? So I wouldn't say it's tied to the seat to the residential market. The residential market certainly drives self-storage. And when there's a lot of movement, like we saw post 2020 to, you know, 2022 effectively before interest rates started to rise, 
when there's a lot of movement, a lot of people buying and selling homes, self-storage does very well. And then when, you know, home sales decline and people aren't moving as much and there isn't as many new rentals, isn't as much activity within the self-storage space. But that's not tied specifically to what I would call seasonality in those in those winter months. Got it. Got it. What about some of the almost subclasses of self-storage that are even more niche themselves, like RV storage and RV parks and boat storage? Are those, are those affected by the same type of cycles that you're referencing for classic self-storage? Somewhat. And there are different drivers for boat and RV. For example, you know, in 2021... We saw a record number of boats as well as RVs get purchased by individuals nationwide. And so because of that, of course, there was a drive up in demand for boat and RV storage. Now, there's always a bit of a slowdown in the winter months because of, you know, people just aren't as active in those colder months, boat and RV included there, but... I would say there are a bit different drivers for boat and RV storage demand than there is traditional self-storage. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we, we've dove into a few of the, the asset class nuances itself. What about the broader market as a whole? When you started in 2018 building this up, what changes have you seen from 2018 to 23 and where do we sit now looking forward? Yeah, the biggest changes that I've seen personally have been just the amount of investors and capital chasing these deals. I mean, we saw a huge influx of capital really in 2021 and then beginning of 2022 from investment firms that historically had invested in other asset classes such as multifamily or retail you know, making a big push into self-storage. And then also, you know, private equity groups and, and owner operators raising billions of dollars from pension funds and institutional investment companies to go out and purchase self-storage. So I would say just the influx of capital is the, is the biggest difference, just how much money is out there chasing these deals, which has caused significant cap rate compression. I mean, 2018, 2019, new construction deals that were stabilized were trading in the sixes. And today, you know, granted they have risen a bit because of the interest rate hikes, but, you know, stabilized class A assets are trading in the low fives. So there's quite a bit of cap rate compression to five years ago or so. What do you think drove that shift into self-storage for the larger institutions? What made it an asset class that now Blackstone can put money into or AEW can now put money into? What 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 is it about it that changed? Well, I will say Blackstone was investing in self-storage prior to 2020, but the other groups... Of course they were. Yeah. You know, have... <laughs> The other groups that have made a big push in, you know, I think that they saw how well it did 
during the pandemic and recognize that as an asset class that generally can be pretty stable. You know, and we saw it in 07, 08, right? Self-storage, it's not like it performed extremely well, but it, it held pretty strong. And, you know, occupancy maybe declined a little bit, but not nearly as bad as, as you know, other asset classes. And same thing in 2020, you know, when the pandemic hit, retail, office, there was big question marks surrounding those asset classes, whereas self-storage, you know, occupancy pretty much maintained where it was. And after the initial lockdowns, rail rates just started to climb and continued to climb and climb and climb. And, you know, once again, self-storage had proved to be recession resilient. And we came out of that, you know, summer of 2020 and it got a ton of pop positive publicity. And, you know, that's when we started to see that institutional capital roll in. Yeah, there's still a lot of uncertainty in office. So we'll see how that sector plays out. Hopefully it continues to <laughs> to boost self-storage. What is your yeah. outlook for self-storage going forward? I mean, we're obviously in a much rockier environment given interest rates. Do you do you see any slowdown or is this an asset class where, you know, the resiliency during a recession will bolster sales? From an operation standpoint, I really don't see there being much drop off there. We're coming out of these winter months and sure there was a little bit of a decline in rural rate. It's a little bit of a decline in occupancy, but nothing too major. And as we headed into these summer months, those rents should recover, occupancy should tip back up again. So we'll be fine from an operation standpoint. From a transactional standpoint, I mean, we've already seen transaction velocity decrease in Q4 last year and then Q1 this year, which was to be expected though. I mean, we had two years of all-time high transaction velocity. And then interest rates have been increased by, you know, 400 basis points. So that was to be expected. But long term, the market that we've seen over the last few years should, you know, maintain itself pretty well, especially considering that all of that capital that was raised to be placed in self-storage is still there. Buyers are still hungry for these deals. You know, there's still a record amount of capital chasing these assets. It's just a matter of pricing right now. You know, the bid-ask spread is a bit far apart, but once it comes back together, that's when we'll see transaction velocity tick back up because it's no shortage of capital. There's no shortage of lenders out there willing to fund these deals. It's really just a function of pricing that slowed things down. Price discovery is the name of the game in 2023, not just in self-storage, it seems. Yep. <laughs> what about, you know, Looking at some of the biggest players in this industry, you know, your public storage and the life storage potential deal, any thoughts on some of some of the movements here and what that might do to impact the industry? Yeah. So about a month and a half ago, public storage made, well, first, I believe it was December of 2022, public storage made an unsolicited offer to buy all of life storage and it was an all stock deal. And life storage at that time turned it down. And then in 
February 2022, they offered again north of $11 billion, again, an all-stock transaction, and you know went public with the offer. And Life Storage, once again, turned down that offer. Now, there have been you know, rumors of public storage getting ready to make another offer, of course, increasing their initial offer and, you know, trying to get this deal done, which when you look at primary shareholders of life storage, a lot of them are primary shareholders of public storage. So, you know, there are some people that think that this deal will get done, but personally, I think that public storage is going to have to increase their offer quite a bit because when you look at their offer of even north of 11 billion on a per facility basis on a cap rate basis price per square foot basis it does seem low how much synergy would there be between those those two companies is it pretty much plug and play and they can save a lot on the effectively by combining the overhead costs definitely i mean there will be a ton of economies of scale there they own a lot of storage in the same markets. I mean, your top MSAs, they'll they'll take over, I mean, quite a bit of stores in markets like Miami, Atlanta, New York, Dallas. So there certainly will be a lot of efficiencies from an expense load standpoint and, you know, help them out a lot with economies of scale. Let's assume that this actually goes through. Any idea on how much of the market they would control at that point? How fragmented is this space? Well, the REITs currently own somewhere between 20 to 25% of all of the facilities in the United States. It's a lot. Obviously, public storage. Yeah. And that number has increased. I mean, there's definitely been a bit of consolidation in the past few years, but, you know, Public storage, of course, owns the most facilities. They're close to about 3,000 locations now, I believe. Light storage is around 1,500 to 1,800 locations. They will certainly tick up in terms of percentage ownership, but you know, not so much to where they own the vast majority of the self-storage industry nationwide. And certainly of some markets. Though. Which markets are the most transactional at this point? So your, your Sunbelt markets really are where we see the most activity. So, you know, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Arizona, California, you know, those markets have certainly seen the most transactions in the last 24 months. And, and that's where investors want to be right now. You know, that's where the gr- job growth is, population growth, rental rate growth, occupancy growth. So that's why we've seen a ton of capital flood those markets. Certainly migration is going to play a, a huge factor in this market. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So let's think long-term now. What What's the long-term future of this industry? Where are we headed? Are we at the end of a bull market and it's going down? Or do we have room to run? What are your thoughts over the next five, 10 years for self-storage? My expectation is for the next five, 10, 15 years in markets where there is positive growth, 
I think those facilities are well positioned to continue to maintain strong occupancy as well as have continuous rental rate growth. I mean, I, I don't anticipate rental rate growth being as strong and as quick as the last few years, but definitely consistent. And I also would anticipate more consolidation in the industry. You know, I think that as the larger investment firms that have historically only focused on purchasing assets and top 50 MSAs realize that there just aren't as many deals available in those markets moving forward, which I'm sure they've already realized. They'll continuously open up their acquisition criteria and their target markets to smaller areas. And typically your more mom and pop owners exist in secondary and tertiary markets. So as these larger investment firms move into smaller markets, we'll have more and more consolidation, which I fully anticipate happening in the next five to 10 years. It seems like a really important piece of any investor's portfolio. I mean, the, the recession resiliency, the ability to mark rents, to market, you know, certainly a very valuable asset class that has emerged here. And I understand now why it's become so popular. So with that, do you have any parting words of advice for investors that are looking to get into self-storage? For investors looking to get into self-storage, I would say first, identify the markets that you want to be in. You know, typically owners prefer to purchase assets closer to home, just easier from a management perspective, but definitely identify the markets that you want to target and identify how you plan to manage these assets and then either reach out to owners in your market, reach out to brokers that are active. Or, you know, you're going to plan to, to develop a facility. Big kind of key points to be conscious of, though, is the amount of supply in your trade area. How many facilities are in a three-mile radius? How many other facilities are in a five-mile radius? How is the occupancy at these surrounding competitors? And how are the rental rates trending? Are they trending up? Are they trending down? Are they flat? And rental rates are a good indicator of the healthiness of a market. It sounds like someone needs a trusted expert to help them walk through that process. That's a, that's a lot of things to juggle. Yeah. yeah, I'm here for it. All right. Well, th there you have it. You know, direct from the mouth of one of the foremost self-storage brokers in the country, Austin. Thank you for sharing your insight with us today. Very much appreciated for you taking the time to share your expertise with us. And to our listeners, thank you as always for letting us share a little insight into the world of commercial real estate. And please join us again next time. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys.